we're going to open up Ephesians. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Ephesians 5. If you don't have one, there's plenty down the front. We're going to pick up a couple of the verses from last week and then continue on into our section for today. So we're going to start uh, verse 17 of chapter 5. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, thanks, son. Well, church, we're going to continue reading. Uh, so... If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to pick it up from verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies as he loves his wife, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, is, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, church, this morning I'm going to start pretty. Um, going to put a couple of things up on the table for you to consider. One, uh, I feel very underqualified to preach to you about uh, the topic of marriage. Yes, I'm married. Beck and I have only been married ten years. We have three little kids. Not only that, as you uh, study scripture, because we at this church believe that God's word is active, uh, it's alive when we study it, and when we not just study, but we read it, meditate on it, the spirit of God is involved, and he's convicting and revealing things. Uh, And this past week, as I've been thinking about this passage to preach to you guys about, it has been very challenging, and it has been wonderfully convicting. Uh, because there's nothing like a, a passage on marriage to ask your wife, hey, how are we going? And my dear, beautiful wife, rightly so, uh, confessed some things. And it revealed some truths to me that was very hard to listen to, but I needed to hear it. And um, for some of us, uh, particularly in this Western uh, and mindset and on the culture particularly that we live in, uh, there are going to be a few things that you, some of us might be tempted to do, particularly for those of us who may not know Jesus yet. Some of us, when we read uh, particularly passages on marriage between husband and wife, for those of us who are single in season of singleness, uh, we might think, oh, I'm going to switch off. Great. Maybe I should have slept in longer. 
Some of us might think, oh no, here's that marriage thing. I've been wanting to get married and great, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Some of us might be feeling guilty as we read these words and um, sort of look at our own marriages. Some of us might look at these words and go, oh man, that's the kind of marriage that I yearn and desire for, but it's not there. Hopefully this is not happening, but some of us might be considering, I hope my husband's listening to this, or I hope my wife is listening to this. But sadly, the reality, my guess is, when some of us hear these words, it has actually not been positive words to listen to because of our own experiences. Whether in the past or, I hope not, maybe in the present right now. But yeah, there are those of us who are in the midst of marriage, are experiencing these wonderful words, or we have witnessed marriages that have lived this out beautifully. My request to you today is no matter wherever you're at in whatever season of life, that you will in a sense come with an open mind, and particularly an open mind to God's word, His scripture. My prayer has been that the Spirit of God will illuminate, convict, refresh, change hearts, and maybe even encourage us this morning as we hear from God, because it's His word, not mine. With that note, let me pray. Lord Jesus, no matter what season of life we're in, that you would encounter us through your word, your active word. Holy Spirit, would you please show us what's on your heart, where we need to change, where we need to grow, and what we need to apply. And Lord, once again, I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great Saviour. Amen. This morning, two things I want us, want us to consider. One, the motivation for submission, and secondly, a call to love. Motivation for submission, what do I mean by that? Verses 15 to 24. Uh, so, like I mentioned, uh, when we read these kind of words, we may come at different kind of angles when we hear certain words. Uh, some of us feel a great sense of sadness. Some of us feel a great sense of joy. Sometimes we might even be feeling apathy because uh, these words stir something in us. And particularly when you see words like submit or submitting. The challenge already in our Western context, here is a male, a 39-year-old male standing up on a Sunday morning talking about submission. For those of you who have not grown up in the church, and particularly if you're not what you're sure what your view of Christian marriage is, it may seem and feel a bit outdated. Maybe the sad reality is, and most statistics would say, some of us may have grown up in situations where these words were used and abused by so-called followers of Jesus. Friends, as we come before these words... We need to come with a knowing that this is God's word. And God, as he writes through his servants of old, through the Holy Spirit, these words are actually good words. Good words for us, because it's being given by a loving Father. And yes, there are people who have and will continue to use such words as these to twist it and turn it around for their own selfish gain. This is why I think it's important for us to consider 
What's the motivation for biblical submission? And did you know the motivation for biblical submission actually doesn't begin in marriage? See, the Apostle Paul, in the start of this chapter, chapter, has been unpacking, hey, if you belong to Jesus, you have been called in a particular way, a particular lifestyle. You've been called to be imitators of God. Why? Because you're loved. You're His children. You're adored by Him. And so you are called to walk in a particular way. And this love, this love of God was shown in a tangible way. Through Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself up for you and for I. His perfect sacrifice that was sufficient, which means that we don't need to sort of work to get God's approval. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are approved because of his work. And last week, Paul, not the Apostle Paul, Paul Lewis, unpacked for us what it means if this is true, then your life should be walking in a particular way or a particular lifestyle. This is how you ought to walk. But before we jump into this topic of submission, Paul makes it very clear what should be driving the submission? So he, he's about to talk about submission in regards to relationships. First, he's going to begin with marriage. Then next week, we're going to talk about kids and parents. And then in the context of Ephesus, slaves and masters or in our kind of culture of, of work. So the question is, how are you supposed to submit? What is the motivation for submission? Well, it's actually in the previous verses before we get into wives, submit to your husbands. Paul has just been saying, verse 17, don't you understand? Don't be foolish. Don't, please understand the will of the Lord. Then he, he makes this contrast. Don't be drunk in wine. But then he says, be filled with the Spirit. The language in there is both a, a passive language and an active language. The passive aspect is you have an external source, the Holy Spirit, breathing into you. And empowering you. And the active responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus is unpacked, as Paul says in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord. And then he continues to say, an act of you showing that you're being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ, for Christ. See, the ability that God has designed, the, the way that He's shaped is, that is through the power of the Holy Spirit in a Christian community, it's the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us to submit. Firstly, to one another out of reverence to Christ. The language that's given here is the motivation is through the power of the Spirit out of reverence to Christ, that is your motivation. It's like saying yeah, it is out of your worship to Jesus, as your, your awe and wonder and, and fear and dread of Christ, the sovereign one. Because of this, you submit to one another. And friends, it's very important to have that foundation. Because when we separate that reality and that truth, and just jump into wives submit to your husbands. Sometimes you can go into thinking, oh man, that sounds really sexist and backwards and downright unhelpful. There may be even some of us that go, aha, this is where people have used these words and grabbed it and twisted and turned it. 
Four, the abuse of others. See, if the foundation is through the Spirit, through His power, then the view of submission is in its right place. And it's sadly to say, even in our Western church, the countless women who have been abused by men who have used these verses for their own gain. And I pray it's not happening in our midst today at Canterbury Gardens Community Church. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is designed particularly, very specifically, right now we're about to speak in regards to Christian marriage. But for you to understand what it means to submit to your husband, it begins with seeing how you view what your view of submitting to Jesus is first. Notice what Paul says in those verses. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's interrelated. You can't separate the two. Paul is saying your allegiance to your husband is based on your relationship with Jesus. It begins there and firstly and foremostly. In some sense, it's like a religious act. It's an act of worship. And the instructions that are given is to make sure that it does not encounter. It's not saying you submit, so you just have to do it because that's what the Bible says. Or it's a sense of people using it, twisting it for bullying or coercion. No, it is done out of an act of willingness because it is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's also very clear that submission in this context, in these verses, about wives to husband, is specifically for a wife just to her husband, not to all men. It is just to her husband. In the context here, it's to a Christian Wife and between a Christian wife and a Christian husband. Christians believe the marriage is between a husband and a wife, male and female. This past year, there's a TV show about by the name of Dateline. Many of the young people have no idea what I talked about. You can Google it. The older people probably know. It's a current affairs show. An Australian reporter did a 12-month investigation into domestic violence in the church here in Australia. And she uncovered things. One of the prominent things that she uncovered was people using verses such as these and twisting it to get away for abusing their spouses. Some women suffered in silence. There were women in that context who were abused by so-called pastors or ministers, 9%. I just want to make it very clear to you, put it on record, this is not biblical submission. This is actually against Jesus and is very designed for marriage. It is sinful and perpetrators should be put in jail for those actions. And they ought to seek the forgiveness of those that they've abused. And particularly those of God and the people that they've abused. This is against God. That is against His design. I want to make it very clear to you this morning. And I pray this is not happening in our church. But if you are a husband in any way abusing your wife, you are sinning against the creator of the universe. You need to stop, repent, turn to your Savior and seek His forgiveness. He's given you His daughter to take care of and love. He sent His Son to die for her. She belongs to Him. And you are breaking the law of this land. You are not a biblical man. You are a coward. 
And if this is you, I'm calling you to repent and confess to the Lord and restore with him, restore with his wife and get help. And dear sisters in Christ, if there is a husband, I pray it's not happening in our church, who's using these verses to cause you to do things that is against the Lord, they are not being godly. You must not endure that. You must tell him to stop. If he's not listening, come and chat to the leadership of this team or report him. So to understand what biblical view of submission is, I think it's really helpful to consider what submission is not. Submission is not the dominance of a man. This is not about a man uh, kind of barking orders to, um, to get the wife to cater for the husband's whim. Because later on, it very clearly says that a, a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. Submission does not mean to be enduring an abusive relationship, particularly with a man who calls himself a follower of Jesus, of any kind of relationship, really. You must not put yourself in harm's way. You need to get out of there. Submission does not mean in all areas. Paul's specific command in these verses is to make it very clear it's between a husband and wife. So this does not mean you carry it off into your workplace submitting to any kind of male leadership in that context. These verses of submission cannot be used as a tool to wield over your wives. Notice what Paul is saying. He's specifically addressing the women. And if you are a married man in this church, reading those verses and going, oh, that's for the wife. No, 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 no. That's for you also. The late, late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor and preacher made a comment about these verses he said that when you see these verses you shouldn't quote it at your wife it's hers to obey yes but it's not yours to demand and if you don't feel like your wife is submitting biblically all you can do is to be the kind of leader you would be a joy to submit to you play your role you trust God with hers. So as much as it's written to wives, it's written to husbands to remind us, for the wife it must be a joy to submit to her husband. Because then if she's finding it hard, and it's not a joy for her, the issue is not her, it's probably us, husbands. To further unpack what submission is not, author and pastor John Piper puts it this way, Submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. I've experienced that in a good way. Submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. Submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change a husband. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Your submission is firstly to Jesus. And submission does not mean that you find your spiritual strength in your husband. It first comes with your relationship with Christ, through the Spirit, through His Word. And submission does not mean you act out of fear. 
As I was sitting and pondering about this, about submission and wife submit to your husband, I was thinking about uh, illustrations to give from our marriage. And I, was, and I thought probably not a good idea because like I said, I feel very underqualified to share those things. My wife is a wonderful gift to me. Because I was reading some of the uh, articles and things about this topic. Uh, one of my favorite preachers by the name of Tim Keller uh, and his wife Kathy Keller are a wonderful team. Now if you uh, look at Tim and Kathy's relationship, uh, Kathy is a theologian. She is a gifted speaker. Not only that, she is, uh, uh, her and her husband have written a wonderful book called The Meaning of Marriage. So Kathy Keller was asked what her view of submission is. What does submission mean to her? And this is what Kathy said. Submission means that in matters of disagreement, I yield to Tim, the deciding vote. I get a vote, he gets a vote, he gets the deciding vote. So in their life stage, they were in a particular ministry context in the States, and Tim felt like a particular call into New York City. And so Tim and Kathy were deciding whether they should move to New York City to start a new church. Tim felt that he should go, and Kathy felt she should not. And they were in a point and situation, they had to make a decision. They couldn't just leave it in the air, they had to sort it out. So Tim conceded and said, okay, if you don't want us to go, we won't go. And now, if you've met Kathy, you can just imagine her saying this. She says, Kathy replied, oh, no, you don't. You're not putting this on me. You have to make the decision and bear the responsibility. It sounds harsh, but I think she did a wonderful job. The reason why I say that, for Kathy, I think, her view of submission is driven by her relationship with God. In that, it's not void of her opinion. She shared her opinion, what she thinks. But ultimately also, she's resting in the way of God's design and His providence in their marriage. So church, when you hear these words, these are good words, particularly in the context both to each other, but also wives and husbands. And friends, if you're someone who has experienced in any way, whether in the past, and I pray it's not today, a negative way of these verses being used, I am deeply sorry that's happened in your life. And I pray that Canterbury Gardens will feel like a safe community and family for you. And particularly if you have, there are men in our church that you should be able to feel safe at. Because we are trying to create a culture of men who are humble servants and leaders. And dear sisters in Christ, if you desire to be married, if you desire or yearning to be married, can I implore you or make it very clear to you that marriage is not the answer. Your relationship with Jesus is, firstly and foremostly. He is the only true answer. Your lordship of Jesus in your life is this most important space to start at. Not just in certain aspects. If Jesus is the Lord of your life in every area of your life. See, Jesus desires for you to submit to him first before you consider submitting to a husband. And if you're in a dating season and you're dating someone currently, one way to work out, is this potential man going to be a godly man to marry? What's his relationship like with his Savior? Is he submitting to Jesus first? Because that will determine the kind of husband he will be. Definitely not perfect, 
But is he submitting to Jesus in all areas of his life? So with this idea of submission, the motivation for submission is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. He enables you to submit to each other and to your husband because this is driven out of an act of worship to us, to his Son, our Lord and Savior. This is the motivation for submission. This is how we submit, particularly in the context of marriage between wife and husband. This past week, uh, Josh Hanger and myself had the privilege to go meet with a couple from our church. And we wanted to meet with them and ask them about their marriage. And they were willing us to interview them and play the video. So we're going to do that now. It's pretty much I um, was, uh, my wife passed away. So basically, um, I was looking for a variety of different single friends or people in my similar situation. We had a meal at Pancakes. Um, it, few other times later on and eventually we got married. We've been married for about 15 and a half years approximately. Yeah, no, it was good. We took it slow and, um, you know, obviously being both being married prior, um, we were cautious and we asked lots of questions and, you know, we wanted to know where we were both with our faith and that sort of thing, so um, checked with God. My name is to know God. I think in a marriage or a relationship, rather than try and change a person to the way you want them to be, try and spend the, uh, do the same thing, try to get to know the person. Jill has two girls and I have two boys. I, mean, I would love his boys as much as I'd love my girls and, and, and thinking of it too from the children's point of view. So there was that extra um, layer on top, if you like, uh, because we, we did have children who we were very focused on making sure that they integrated well into a, you know, a nice family unit. It's a lot more complicated than when you're first young and you get married, you've first you've got little or no um, set ways to sort of try and synchronise with the other person and so forth. In the end, you, you don't want to spend and waste too much time in your life looking for the perfect right person. So my favourite Bible verse is Philippians 2, 9 to 11, which is, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I love that because I did come to Christ later. I was about 29, 30. And it just, it just sends shivers up my spine because it's just the truth of the promise that is to come. And it's just amazing. So um, I've used it a lot, <laughs> a lot. And it's just, it's so foundational to, to me personally. There is a verse that I could think of in a sense of people who contemplating marriage or in marriage and I think that's Corinthians, uh, Colossians sorry, 3.13 where it says something along the lines of forbearing each other, uh, forgiving each other. Mm. That's a pretty key thing to a, a, a marriage. I think submission to me is similar to obedience um, and that is also a reflection on my relationship with God. Obedience has been a big thing for me um, with God and his words and his commandments and um, and I think that too is works very well in, in submission to um, a wife to a husband um, in the marriage, um, you know, relationship, especially when the man is a very godly man and has wisdom 
and um, and can make those decisions. Um, and it says, you know, wives submit to your to your husbands, um, and the husbands should love the wives. And you know, James will be is answerable to God for the decisions he has made and, and will make within our family as well. And he takes that very seriously. And I'm very blessed to have somebody that is so godly in that that area. I mean, I'm not lower than him, I'm not made, and you know, there's a, I know there's a lot of arguments about that. We're both equal and James respects me a lot and, and you know, seeks out my thoughts and suggestions and ideas on a lot of things as well, but ultimately he he's the head and I'm happy with that. So submission and obedience in that area is good. When you think about messing up and doing things wrong, you know, uh, how does God forgive me if I'm in a situation where I feel I don't want to forgive Jill, I have to reflect and think, you know, God's forgiven me, therefore I should be forgiving Jill. God forgives us. It gives us the power then to forgive others around us. If somebody came to me and said, I'm interested in a person, what would you suggest, blah, 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 I think the first thing is seek God first. Um, always seek God first. God knows us better than what we know ourselves. And even if you haven't found the one yet, um, it, I think it's great to um, pray. Um, I've prayed for um, our kids um, as a group, for their partners, before we even knew who they were. I think role modelling marriage mm. is really important. Role modelling is great, yeah. For both our kids, but also perhaps your friends and people around you. And I think too, looking to other um, strong Christian um, marriages, um, whether it be in the church or, or families around you, um, and just sort of see how they communicate with each other. I mean, we're not we're not born with with knowing all you know all the answers, and it's the same with parenting. You know, you sort of feed off other parents and mothers as to what they're doing. So, so looking to that as well as role modelling that to to those you know to our children and things like that is is, is very good. I think we should give James and Gillian a pause for <clears throat> their willingness to be uh, honest and open as they open their home. So friends, that's a practical example of what it looks like to be in partnership in between a husband and wife and when uh, talking about submission. And now we focus on husbands. So starting in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Friends, the call here is to love. I mean, Paul has just addressed the wives at Ephesus and the wives even today. This means that even as you read these passages, if you're someone who's not married or maybe even desiring to be married or apathetic to it, these passages, these verses are still relevant for you. 
If you're a male, if you're a man, and if you are a husband, the call ultimately is to love. And when we use the words love in the context here, Paul is not meaning sexual love. Neither is he talking about romantic love. Neither is he talking about the kind of love where you buy your wife flowers. Neither is he talking the kind of love where you have a shower or a shave or maybe even use deodorant that week. Neither is he calling the kind of love where you clean or cook for your wife. That's not the kind of love that he's talking about. What Paul is specifically talking about, it's the love that is shaped and formed by God's love for you. It's the same love that Paul uses here. He's saying to the husbands of Ephesus and even today, if you want to know what love is, you want to know what God-centered love is, well, first, let's look at the one who's displayed it perfectly for us, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we look to. This is the one who has shown us true sacrificial love. This Jesus gave himself up, gave up his rights, For his bride, the church, you and I. This is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. The one who has always existed. The one who rules and reigns over everything. Yet he did not demand submission. But rather he died for his church. He died in order to save her. To make her his own. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus... If you are a husband, our call, your call, my call is to die for our wife. Not just on that day you say, I do. It is every day. It's a call of every way dying to self. And the aim of true love, the the design of true love, your role as a husband is to not actually make your wife a better wife. No, no. Your call as a Christian husband is to make her more like her Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the language that Paul uses when he talks about the Word and water. These are real symbols in that church. They would have known what Paul is talking about, about the Word and baptism. These symbols about a spiritual reality of a per- something that's going on in a person's life. So in this moment, Paul is saying, hey... Let's show you the example. That example that's given to us is this Jesus. He's the one who's doing this right. He's willing to wash his church. He's the one who's constantly working in his church, continually shaping her and forming her. And this is the call for you and I, if you're a Christian husband, is to, to, to display true love, is to partner with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to help your wife to become more like Jesus. This is our call. This is our, my call as a husband. Do you know that's the number one priority? If you want to know what your priority is as a husband, yes, you should provide for your family. Yes, you should work hard and do all those things. But the number one priority that your wife, a Christian wife, yearns for is for you to make her more like Jesus. So in verses 28 to 30, Paul wants to display further what this actually looks like. He says... In doing so, as you love your wife. He talks his language of becoming, uh, you love her as you love yourself. 
In other words, what he's saying is, you are one flesh. When you said, I do, you became one flesh. You made a covenant. Not only that, you're actually part of each other. You're part of her, she's part of you. So love her as you would love yourself. Paul's assuming that blokes love themselves. In that moment he's saying, but no, your call is to love her as yourself, in some sense, much more than you love yourself. The language is strongly there, and the, the language is beautiful in this, and the way that he says it is to say, hey, husbands, love your wife tenderly. Care for her. Nourish her. It's a picture of both protection and provision. But the motivation and the model that's given for us is Jesus Christ. This is the model that's laid before us, husbands. So this means for those of us who are desiring to be married, if you want to understand what it means to be a husband... It's much more than just finding a spouse. It's much more than uh, bringing, provi- providing for your family. It's much more bigger than that. It means that if you desire to be a husband, a Christian husband, you've got to be willing to die and cherish your wife because that's what the Savior did for you and for me. That's our model. And I was sitting here and thinking about this and wondering, well, what does this mean? Well, friends, it's a wonderful reminder in our culture of our time. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. This means marriage is not a date. It's a commitment. As I was pondering and considering this, I was sharing with a pastor friend of mine about the passage that I'm preaching And he said to me, hey, have you heard about Robertson McCulkin? I said, no, I haven't heard about Robertson McCulkin. Who is he? And he told me about this, and I'm glad I've uh, heard about him. Robertson McCulkin is an American. He's been deemed as one of the greatest storytellers, apparently. He's a follower of Jesus. Uh, He's passed away, uh, but he was also a seminary professor. He was well known in that time of era. Uh, He had committed to the gospel. He'd sold out his life for it. And he was uh, running a very successful seminary. He was the president of this seminary. There came to a point in his life where he displayed that he had two loves. One, his unapologetic love for Jesus. The second, his wife Muriel. At some point in his married life, it became very clear that his wife was not unwell. She had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Here is a man who's successful in his organization, doing amazing work for the Lord, and he had to make a decision. He had to resign from his post. And what I'm going to play for you now is part of his resignation speech. Thanks, guys. It's pretty much I um, was... Uh, that's James and Gillian, but... Um... I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. 
And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. He said, he said, it's not that I have to, but I get to. Brothers, it's a privilege to be married. It's not a right. And you know, you don't actually have to die for your wife. You don't actually have to do it. But if you're a Christian husband, you get to. And in doing so, you point to a greater love, a glorious love, the gospel love, to a world, particularly in our culture, in our society here in Australia, is intently watching Christian marriages. And we need to understand that God's design for marriage didn't just rock up in Ephesians 5. This is about God's ultimate design. This is something that he's always shaped and put together. This is why the Apostle Paul quotes an Old Testament passage where he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects a husband. This has always been God's design. And this idea of unity and oneness is not about sexual unity alone. It's much bigger and deeper than that. It's this picture of a united goal. The idea of a husband leaving and cleaving is this idea that as a husband you leave behind and you cleave or you are bond together. Language is like saying you're bond like glue with one another to your wife that God has given you. But it begins with a couple realizing, firstly, as we've been exploring all through Ephesians, who you are first, in Christ, you are then to imitate Jesus. Then how are you to submit to one another? You are to be filled with the Spirit. And as we do this, as this design is played out in the local church, it points to a bigger picture of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. It points about his relationship with his church. That Christ is one with his church. And this is why if you are a Christian husband, you are called to die to self. Because in doing so, you display a bigger, greater story in the gospel. Maybe husband, this week, you need to ask your wife, how am I doing? Are willing And be willing to hear her. It might be a hard thing to hear, but you might need to. Husbands, particularly in our Western context, you might be putting more hours at work than you need to. There might be a wife that's desiring for you to put more hours into her. 
to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. And for those of you who are men, who are Christian men, who desire to have a Christian marriage, the question I have for you is, what are you investing in? Are you investing in your relationship with Jesus? Are you investing in something or someone else? Because in investing in Jesus, that will shape you to be the husband that God has called you to be. So husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husband as you respect Christ. But friends, let's not do this in our own strength. It must be done through the power of the Spirit. No matter what a stage of life you're in, married, single, and in our season, in our church, we also know those who have had broken marriages, whatever stage you're in. The beginning spot is always to look to the greater love that is shown in Christ. The one who is willing to submit himself, who gave up his rights to come into this world to rescue you. The one who will always be the perfect husband. This is our example. The one who has made it possible for you and I to know him so intimately that we are actually called a son and a daughter. That if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're seen as blameless. The one saviour who did not wait for his bride, the church, to clean themselves up before he died for her. Because you know that that's our story, that's my story, that's your story. And all of this can be lived out through the help of the Holy Spirit, who will enable us to submit to each other, for a wife to submit to a husband, for a husband to submit to his wife by dying for her and leading her, So this means that uh, um, a devotional book that I read on this said, if you struggle to understand the nature of Christ's love for you, think of an utterly devoted husband. If you struggle to understand how to please Jesus, think of a beautifully supportive wife. If you're single, widowed or divorced, don't miss what Paul is directing your attention to. Not so much towards human marriage, but toward the marriage of Christ and his church, which every believer is part of. And if you're married, you're in any danger of so focusing on thinking, uh, sorry, if you, someone who does not think you're married and you want to be married, you're yearning to be married, don't forget the greater reality is about you being united with Christ. And if you're painfully aware that your marriage is far from ideal, remember that it can only ever be a shadow of your marriage made in heaven. And remember that when a struggling marriage stays together. It is not a battlefield, but a victory parade demonstrating God's power to keep us together under Christ, because that is the picture of the good news of the gospel. So as the music team comes up, as you consider this week, here are some things I want to leave with you. Consider how your personal submission is going with the Lord first. Because that's where it begins. At school, at home, at work, in the season of retirement, in marriage season, in single season, whatever season you're in. Is Jesus the king of all of your life? If not, turn to him. Ask him to be. If you're a Christian husband, are you leading as Christ is calling you to lead or are you leading as the world is calling you to lead? Look to your Savior and ask Him to change you and help you.
forth. Consider getting a coach. Beck and I meet with a woman, uh, a counselor. The elders know about this, by the way, if you're wondering. Uh, we meet with them. We've been starting to meet with her through this year. And it's been a wonderful thing before Beck and I. We meet because we, it's like a, a checkup on our marriage. She talks about how we're doing together. Sometimes she meets with us one-on-one. Don't be shy. It's okay. We're broken people. God is a gracious saviour. So you might need to get a coach. If it's not someone you want to get through counselling, maybe there are other men and women here who've been married longer than you. Catch up for a tea or coffee with them and ask them. Learn from them. And finally, if you're someone who has been wounded by a man or a woman who has abused these words, I pray Canterbury Gardens would become a place of rest and refuge for you. I pray that Christ will heal you. As we sing this last song, may it be a song of worship, of almost resurrendering everything that's going on in your life and committing to the Lord as we come before his altar. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our perfect saviour who's displayed this in every way. We pray for the marriages in our church and marriages to be in our church. May they display the gospel for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 19 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! The Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, has granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your, the day is coming when you will return. We pray until that day for this season that we're in. Whether single, married, or desiring to be married, we pray that you will shape relationships that display the good news of the gospel and yearn for your return. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless.